News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. To protect our most vulnerable, to protect what matters most, we have to get the community spread under control. That is Premier Doug Ford in Ontario, where several regions, including the area around Toronto, going into lockdown this morning. So what does that mean for them? To talk more about that, we're joined now by Global News reporter Marianne Demain about these new restrictions. Good morning, Marianne. Hi, good morning. So what's going on in Toronto? What kind of lockdown measures are you going to see? Yeah, these are definitely measures we haven't seen since the first lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. And primarily, it's really impacting local businesses. So that means no more indoor or patio dining. Gyms are closed, casinos, indoor rec centers, they're also closed. Personal care businesses like hair and nail salons, they've also had to close their doors. When it comes to non-essential businesses, like anything that's not a grocery store, supermarket, hardware store, um, beer and liquor stores are considered uh, essential right now. Anyone else will have to now move from in-store shopping to curbside pickup and delivery. So a lot of people are going to have to support their local businesses in different ways, but we're not going to see that rush in the stores that we would normally see during this time of year, typically ahead of Black Friday and the holiday season. Right. That sounds that's, that's like quite the change then from what we've had. What brought this on? Well, record numbers. Um, we had multiple days of record numbers here in the province and a lot of projections about even more dire numbers on the way. They were projecting just a few weeks ago that we would see 6,500 cases by mid-December. And with the numbers still creeping up, the Premier had hinted that more restrictions were on the way for hotspots like Peel Region, just outside of Toronto, as well as Toronto. And then those were announced on Friday. You're also going to notice that a lot of people can't get together with other people. Um, mm-hmm. We were allowed to do that when we were in the red zone, which is the zone just before we hit the gray zone, which is the lockdown. So we can only socialize indoors with the people we live with, and we can only see up to 10 people outdoors. And that's something you're also going to see with funerals and weddings, a cap in the amount of people who can be there, and they have to physically distance. Right. So it, it sounds like, are people obeying the rules, I guess, Marianne? Because here in BC, it's so different. Like we still have salons open and those kinds of personal services places open. You can still go to a restaurant here. So are, are people obeying? Obeying the rules there? Well, that's really dependent on who you ask. If you ask a lot of the local independent businesses here in the city, they are trying their best to stay afloat during this pandemic. So they've put extra money in to make their establishments safer. They're making sure they follow the rules because they don't want to be shut down or face those huge fines that uh, the premier had said would be coming to those caught breaking the rules. So they are very upset because a lot of them don't think they can survive a second lockdown. We are going to see a lot of for rent spaces, unfortunately, once this is all lifted after the end of uh, the 28 days. But um, other people are saying that they are not following the rules. We're hearing a lot about COVID fatigue. Um, Is that something that you're hearing over there on the West End as well? Uh, People just feel like they want to continue living their life. And that was the problem. People were still having parties. um, And those are in places that can't be monitored, like in restaurants or bars or in casinos. Um, Just the other week, we had somebody here in the city 
caught with a birthday party in a storage unit, and she had more than 100 people there. What? So those are the kinds of things people are doing, unfortunately, to try to get around the rules to continue living their best life during this pandemic. And unfortunately, that's why we're here. Oh, it's like unique, I guess, a birthday party in a storage unit. Uh, So what about the hospitalizations? Because I know that's something people watch very carefully. Are are the hospitals kind of filling up with COVID-19 patients? They are at capacity. Um, that is the reality for Toronto as well as in Peel region. Another hotspot is York region just outside of Toronto. But they were saying that their hospitals were not strained to capacity and they managed to stay in that red zone I was talking about, just below the lockdown gray zone. So they didn't move in, but Toronto and Peel did, uh, particularly because there is just um, a strain on the resources. So many people in the hospitals right now because of the rising numbers and they just unfortunately weren't going down and that's why the lockdowns took effect today. All right. Well, Marianne, thanks so much for telling us about it this morning. You're welcome. Appreciate your time. That's Marianne Domain. She is a global news reporter in Toronto. Uh, Toronto being one of the regions there in Ontario that go into lockdown this morning. They are going to the kind of most severe stage of lockdown because of the uh, increasing number of COVID-19 cases there. That story that she just kind of mentioned in passing, the birthday party in the storage unit, 100 people. The thing about that is, you know, you're breaking the rules, right? There's no way around that. You can't say, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I thought I could have this many people. No, no, you deliberately were breaking the rules because you were doing it in a storage unit and thought that you wouldn't get caught. It reminded me of this other story from over the weekend. You may have heard about it. This is the one, the Kamloops homeowner who got a pretty hefty fine. This was on Friday because they were busted with a full house of people. They were having a card game. Uh, And it was all contrary to COVID-9 restrictions, of course. So Kamloops RCMP called to this house. It was like one o'clock in the morning because somebody had reported an illegal gambling event. They had like 10 people there and they were no social distancing. There were no measures taking place. And it was a very uncooperative resident, police said. So it was all in violation of the new public health orders. They weren't wearing masks. There was no hand sanitizer. There were there was nothing. They were just treating it like it was a normal kind of card game in regular times. And it just got worse and worse. And so he ended up getting fined something like $3,000 in total and definitely on the radar now of police for this. He was actually arrested because he was obstructing the police officers. But just goes to show you, some people just still don't get that message. Well, let's talk about what's happening for Canadian businesses right now. There is, of course, good news and bad news out there. The bad news being that right across the country, coast to coast, there are new waves of lockdown measures that are happening that are impacting so many struggling businesses out there. On the, well, little glimmer of good news today is that there is some help available to businesses out there starting today. For more on all of that, Dan Kelly joins us now, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. I just, I have so much sympathy for business owners right now because it must feel like just as they were starting to recover, it happens all over again. You know, it is absolutely brutal and and honestly quite shocking that the government here in Ontario has followed Manitoba's lead in shutting down retailers once again at their absolute busiest time. I was out, uh, I'm I'm in Toronto, I was out visiting a small lighting store to pick up some lights for my house, uh, an independent. Uh, I was the only customer in the store. There There were two staff, one was the owner. She said to me that as of today, Monday, she has to shut down 100% other than online commerce. And yet 
people can still line up to buy lights at, at Home Depot, uh, or they can go to Walmart. Okay. And how, how does how that happen? Is, on what pe- planet is that fair that you can line up at these big box stores? And how does it help COVID spread by shutting down tiny little stores that may be lucky to see 10 customers in a day and sending crowds of people to Walmart, Costco, and, uh, and other large retailers? Okay, but then how does that happen then? Why can't the small retailers stay open? By government law, they've been locked down by the Ford government. In Toronto and Peel, the Manitoba government has now now prohibited all non-essential commerce. At least in Manitoba, what they've done is they've said you can't buy books, you can't buy flowers, you can't buy uh, a winter coat, but you're only allowed to do that online. Uh, They've even prevented the big box stores there from selling those same items. At least that's a little bit fairer way of doing it. Consumers will hate it, but they've shut down retail in, in, you know, a huge swath of two provinces. Even if they have, like, measures in place for distancing and and keeping people safe? Even if they've spent thousands of dollars with barriers and crowd control and, and everything else, they're shut down as of today. So every small business, uh, every small retailer, other than those selling groceries and pharmaceuticals, is closed for four weeks starting today in the GTA. How do you compare that with what you see here in BC? You know, BC has taken a more reasoned approach through the entire pandemic. Uh, It's not without criticism, of course. Yeah. But, you know, public health officials, even during the the April and uh, the the March-April lockdowns, BC allowed a trickle of commerce to come in with limitations to to businesses in most of the key sectors. Uh, I contrast that to the rest of the country where they basically shut down businesses altogether other than uh, big box stores and, and grocery stores. And I guess today is also the day, though, that there is some federal help on the way, right? There is this program uh, for businesses, for rent relief that they can get into starting today. You're absolutely right, and this is the this is the good news for for businesses right across Canada, because even in British Columbia there are thousands and thousands that are that are shut down, uh, and and so the government has finally fixed their failing rent support program. This is the federal government. Uh, the new program, the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy, will go online later today. I would expect around noon Eastern. Uh, I guess that's nine a.m. for British Columbians. And that program will now provide a rent subsidy to all businesses with any degree of revenue loss. It's based on the percentage that you actually that your revenues have declined. And if your business is one, like some in BC that have been shut down or limited in a significant way once again, uh, you are eligible for an extra 25%. So the subsidy could go up as, as high as 90% of your rent bill. And that's really welcome relief at a critical time for businesses because they're missing out on a busy holiday season. No kidding. How exhausted, though, are business owners right now, Dan? What do you hear from them? Exhausted and, and you know, growing in anger uh, that, that we're at now at the second wave and many are being shut down uh, a second time. It is really, really disappointing. There's panic on the part of a lot of business owners because this is also the you know a very different season than March and April when the first shutdowns happen, and, and Canadians are staying home even you know even if the business is allowed to be open. Our members in British Columbia are telling us their sales are falling yeah. through the floor because they they don't have because Canadians are not coming out in any degree of the numbers that they normally do, or they're shifting their business to online commerce or to uh, or or to going to the big box stores when they pick up their groceries. So. Right. 
we really need Canadians to get right from coast to coast to get out and support small and local businesses. This weekend is Small Business Saturday. It's the day that we celebrate small businesses the most in Canada. And I'm really hoping that your listeners will get out there sometime this week and, and dedicate some of their holiday spends to the small businesses while they're still open. And this was, you know, this was just kind of starting into the retail season. I, I felt like a, a couple of weeks ago there was some hope for the retail season. You know, it's it's really disappointing. I mean, look, I, I'm happy that retailers in British Columbia remain open. Uh, that that will help. But you know, many are still just squeaking by. Uh, many are not going to make up the losses that they've had. And that rent support program, unfortunately, doesn't retroactively cover those months uh, from the spring that were so, so incredibly difficult for business owners where they didn't get any rent support. So we need to do everything we can to uh, to support these firms. All right. Well, more to come on that. Dan, thank you. Anytime. Dan Kelly, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. It is a real patchwork across the country right now, province by province, as to how businesses are being treated. You heard him talking about Ontario, Manitoba. That's just a bizarre situation where the small businesses are being forced to shut down, even if they have put distancing measures in place, but the big box stores can stay open. Uh, Here in BC, that is not the case where the stores can stay open provided they follow the rules. And as well, we still have, you know, hair salons open and, you know, nail salons open, that kind of thing. And Ontario, Manitoba, all of that has been shut down right now. So yeah, you can see how for businesses, you think, man, it's just one thing after another. Again, though, as Dan pointed out, the federal rent subsidy program kicks off today. I think it sounded like 9 a.m. our time, that portal will be open. And that is good news for businesses out there. You can get some help. And this time it's going directly to the business as opposed to the landlord. That was the problem uh, with that program the first time they tried to roll it out six months or so ago. So will that help some businesses? Sure. Is it too late for some? That's the big question, right? If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. But of course it is, a lot of Black Friday sales have already started, but it is of course starting off, kicking off the busiest shopping, what normally would be the busiest shopping time of the year. So we'll have to see if that holds for businesses out there, if they see any kind of pickup with holiday spending. Well, let's get an update on what's been happening in the United States. We know that it's still, you know, a couple of months before President-elect Joe Biden is inaugurated, but that doesn't mean that the fight isn't still going on to prevent that from happening. Joining us now is Global News Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So here we are, two weeks after the election, and it feels like almost three weeks now, we're still kind of fighting the same issue from election night. We are, uh, but we're getting closer to uh, a potential end to this kind of never-ending saga with both Michigan and Pennsylvania set to certify their results today of the election. Pennsylvania likely to be a much more smooth process. In Michigan, we could find a deadlocked uh, kind of certification board, which would be a first uh, unprecedented create a constitutional crisis but at the end of the day here there are laws in each state that say how this has to go and and the way that michigan is going right now is going to run up against the laws and at the end of the day it's going to be a roundabout process but joe biden will eventually be certified right now what happened with the legal team over the weekend because i was reading about this and i thought there is some kind of wacky stuff going on there i mean this is bizarre because number one uh we had that bizarre news conference last week yeah. where rudy giuliani and jenna ellis and and Sidney powell gave this very rambling conspiracy filled 
lie of a news conference. And then over the weekend, the legal teams distanced themselves from Sidney Powell, saying that she is an independent lawyer and doesn't work for the campaign, uh, and that her comments, which garnered wide criticism, uh, should be ignored. The problem is, seven days ago, Donald Trump tweeted that Sidney Powell is a part of that team and yeah. was proud of what they were doing. So th- you now have the team undercutting itself uh, because they were undercut by their own team members' words. We should also point out this legal team is also now all quarantined because Rudy Giuliani's son, who was in attendance, tested positive for COVID-19. So, I mean, these are legal troubles that extend far beyond just right. just the legal fight right now. And it sounds like they also legally got slapped quite hard. Uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania. They did. The The judge essentially said you're trying to disenfranchise 7 million voters in Pennsylvania from having their votes count, uh, and it's unconstitutional, and it's not going to happen. That's why it's likely that Pennsylvania is going to become a much smoother process to get the 20 electoral votes for Joe Biden. So even if Michigan wasn't able to do this and they subverted the laws and this, that, and the other, it would still not be enough to overturn the results, and Joe Biden would technically still have the electoral votes. Right. So they've obviously they they feel like they have some kind of legal path here, though, Reggie, because they keep trying. Well, they keep trying. There is the problem is there is no legal path forward. There is nothing that the president's team is going to be able to do to overturn these results. Uh, there was no fraud. This is not going anywhere. They're simply trying to delay the process as long as they can. The Electoral College has to certify this on December 14th. Uh, that's going to happen. That has to happen per the Constitution. This is literally just a way now to delay Donald Trump's departure from the Oval Office. And speaking of which, how much have we seen of him? I know we've heard of him him right tweeting but what about actually him doing the job well, I mean, look, we saw him on the golf course on Saturday and Sunday this weekend. We saw that he was a part of a G20 uh, kind of roundtable meeting. We don't really know what he said in his opening remarks. It wasn't made public. And then he ignored the, uh, you know, the pandemic portion of this and went to the links instead. Uh, he is being criticized for simply not doing the job that he was elected to do and tossing his hands up as the United States is in the middle of a constitutional crisis and a public health crisis. And so nothing has changed on that. What about high profile Republicans? Are they finally saying... President-elect Joe Biden, those words that they haven't been allowed to say until now? More of them are. More of them are. Some senators, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, they're stepping up saying, look, it's time to concede. People close to the president, uh, you know, uh, big allies of him from the business world are saying, look, it's time to concede. Governors like Larry Hogan from Maryland saying, stop golfing. It's time to concede. It's not the majority of them. It's just a growing number of them. Right. So that still doesn't solve anything, though, right? Like the process can move forward, but it doesn't seem like he's any closer to saying that, Okay, yeah, I'll leave the White House on in January. And there's nothing in the law that says that you have to be gracious in defeat. You just have to understand the reality that the people voted you out and your time is coming to an end at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th. Whether or not he wants to accept it is one thing. He's going to be forced to accept it when he realizes that Joe Biden is moving into the Oval Office because the will of the American people decided to go in a different direction. Okay, more to come on that, as always. Uh, Reggie, thank you very much thank for you. that. Reggie Cicchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. I know it's been weeks, right, since the U.S. election, and it just feels like every time I turn on the news to get an update on what's happening, it's like Groundhog Day down there. It's the same story, is that they're inching closer to this. It's almost become the norm, which makes it kind of scary, actually. Over and over again, over the last seven or eight months, we've heard, oh, but look at Atlantic Canada. They're doing such a good job. They're that Atlantic 
bubble that they had created in keeping those numbers of COVID-19 cases down. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case the last couple of weeks. They have slowly but surely seen an increase in the number of uh, COVID-19 cases. In fact, in Newfoundland and Labrador this morning, the Premier Andrew Fury is going to be making uh, a public address and it is about COVID-19 and it is expected that they will come down with some more precautionary measures in Newfoundland and Labrador. Another province that had been doing very well is in New Brunswick, but now they've got a record number of cases that have been announced there over the over this past weekend. Have a listen to this report from Global News journalist Silas Brown. An unfortunate milestone for New Brunswick. Today there are 23 new cases of COVID-19 in New Brunswick. That is the greatest number of cases public health has reported in a single day since the COVID-19 pandemic was declared last March. Of those 23 new cases, 16 of them are in the St. John Health Zone, while another six are in the Moncton area. Both areas remain in the orange zone, while the rest of the province sits at yellow. But Health Minister Dorothy Shepard warns that could change quickly. If we don't change our behaviours and our actions today, right this minute, that is where we are headed as a province. Dr. Jennifer Russell took the opportunity during a rare Saturday update to urge New Brunswickers to keep their contacts as low as possible. In the orange zone, it is to remain within single household bubbles, but she's asking all New Brunswickers to avoid gathering, no matter how small, no matter who with. As we saw in the outbreak in Zone 5, the major drivers of transmission, and this still continues to be the case, are small gatherings with family and friends or colleagues. But while gatherings are being discouraged, many are still permitted under public health rules. Bars and restaurants remain open, even in St. John and Moncton, while churches are still permitted to host worship, weddings, funerals, and other ceremonies. Asked if this sent a contradictory message to New Brunswick, Russell stressed that the economy must be balanced with protecting New Brunswickers' health. We want to be able to avoid having that happen while protecting people's mental health, while protecting the economy, while protecting uh, the school system and education of children. Uh, These are all the things that we need to try to balance. Premier Blaine Higgs weighed in as well, saying the province is trying to keep businesses open for the Christmas season. I think the, the very uh, very reason we try so hard to keep businesses open is is to allow them to be able to uh, take advantage of the of the season and the additional um, activities that happen during during uh, this time of year. As for the outbreak at the Shannox Nursing Home in St. John, four people have tested positive after 400 tests have been processed. Dr. Russell also said that there is no evidence of community spread in the port city at this time. Silas Brown, Global News, Fredericton. So there you go. New Brunswick also seeing a rise in cases, same as Newfoundland, Labrador. They've got, I guess, what you could call a little outbreak. They had something like 14 cases in the Deer Lake uh, Humber area of Newfoundland and Labrador. So they're likely going to see some measures coming into effect there. So yeah, not so much the Atlantic bubble anymore. They are also uh, seeing an increase in the number of cases. As for us, three o'clock this afternoon is when we will get our three-day update. So unfortunately, expect that number to be uncomfortably high. Uh, That will be with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dixon. Of course, we'll have that for you live right here on 980 CKNW.
Yeah, there's not a lot to look forward to, right, this holiday season. But I think one thing maybe some of us thought we'd be able to do was uh, maybe go for a walk in Van Dusen Gardens for the annual Festival of Light. You thought, hey, it's outdoors, right? If we socially distance, that should be okay. Maybe go to Stanley Park, see the Christmas train, just do stuff that was outside. Well, it turns out we can't do any of that either, even though they were set to get underway this week. New restrictions also include those outdoor holiday events that we have come to love so much. So to talk more about that, we're joined now by Vancouver Park Board Commissioner John Cooper. John, thanks for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thank you. I would imagine you've got quite quite a few disappointed people letting you know they're not happy about this. Well, I, you know, everybody looks forward to the holidays and uh, certainly uh, we were hoping and our staff have done a tremendous job getting both facilities ready. Uh, obviously, we had previously uh, decided not to go forward with the Bloedel Conservatory lighting, which is always another great event, but of course that's indoor. Um, now, we were, you know, proceeding along and staff have been working very hard. And uh, I, like everybody else, saw on the news uh, last night uh, that uh, didn't look like it was going forward. So, very quickly, um, you know, our staff have been on it. We have not confirmed directly with the Vancouver Coastal Health or the Provincial Health Officer, and, and we're waiting for that. But uh, we're progressing as if, obviously, uh, uh, Global came out with the story, and, you know, we believe it to be factual. So That you won't be able to go ahead with these? No, not at this not at this point. It doesn't look like it, but we want to make sure we get the confirmation from the Provincial Health Officer. And, and um, But... Basically, we are moving moving forward on that basis and uh, hoping that perhaps things change. We bend the curve down and, and maybe we're able to do it uh, if it's lifted in, on in December the 7th. But uh, we had originally slated to start the train on the 26th and Van Dusen on the 27th. So, John, you make a great point there. This is what I was thinking as well, that if we're all good, if we all you know, behave ourselves, if we do what we're asked to do, that maybe we can get those numbers down enough so that some outdoor events might be able to open perhaps in December at some point. Do you think that might be possible? Like, would it be ready or do you have to cancel for the whole season? Well, I, we're, you know, we're, we're still working on the assumption that, that we can get get going at some point but uh you know we have to be safety first and the park board has done a good job right from very early on when um at the start of the pandemic when we were out with our signage and and you know we closed a lot of facilities very quickly uh at the start of this pandemic and uh even in even moving logs off beaches so people wouldn't gather and and uh, so that i think the park board has been very quick and um following all the provincial regulations. And I think that's very prudent for, for us. And I'm just very proud of this, the work that our staff do, uh, both in closing and opening and reopening. And no uh, it's quite a challenge for uh, a group that is not a, as big a group as sometimes people think. And they do a really uh, terrific job. Now, normally those are some pretty busy events, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're really the really most loved events in Vancouver, and I've had the you know the privilege to be at many of them over the years, and and certainly to see those people, the smiling faces, and especially kids and families together. Uh, you know, we all, we all need a lift. So I'm hoping we can bend that curve down, and uh, you know, our staff will right now be be starting to work on you know getting people refunds and that sort of thing. So everything you know once once the word got got out yesterday at that six i mean i got a memo from our staff within a couple of hours they're really uh that's on the weekend so i was very impressed now john as well how tough has this been financially for the park board you know the, we know the facilities have been you know mostly shut down but there was kind of in the process of trying to open some of those back up but what's been going on 
Well, it's been it's been a big you know it's been a big hit because it's not just uh, the events and things that we do, but also our facilities. So you know we had golf shut down for for a while. Golf has come back quite quite strong because it's an outdoor event. But and many of our partners that uh, have seen their revenues drop off, and of course so we get a percentage of that, whether it be uh, uh, be restaurants or the aquarium and things like that. So it's been a pretty devastating uh, time for the park board, and I. I just have to compliment uh, our staff again because they've really jumped to the pump and done a great, great job. And, you know, the park board continues. We've got a meeting tonight uh, and uh, I have, you know, we're looking far in advance. You'll have a motion actually that I'm bringing bringing forward to ask us to consider, uh, you know, what to be ready in case the city moves forward with some kind of an Olympic uh, bid in 2030. And that's a long time off, but... uh, that's the kind of thing I think we need to be ready for. And, and, you know, we're going to get through this and if people follow the rules and, you know, once we see a vaccine, hopefully we'll get back to delivering that Vancouver lifestyle that we really all enjoy so much. Now, what if people have already bought tickets? Cause I know some people have probably bought in advance, right? Yeah, there'll be re if, if it does go forward, they'll be rescheduled to um, a future available dates. And if it, if it doesn't, obviously that uh, they'll be refunded. So, uh, you know, we've, we've, we're, we're good at that. We've done it with many of the programs within our community centers and all kinds of things. So, um, you know, uh, we'll be on it for sure. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for your time, John. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That's John Cooper, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. A couple of questions that I got via email that I just want to address here really quickly. We were talking about outdoor holiday events that are being well, at least postponed for now that won't be happening like at Stanley Park and at Van Dusen because of the new provincial health orders. I had an email from Red who asked, well, what about the PNE? What about that big drive through they were planning to do? I think they were calling it winter lights or something like that. Uh, no word on that. It, the difference between that is, I guess, is people aren't going to be getting out of their cars. They stay in their cars for that. So looking for some more information from the PNE on that, but I have not heard yet of any kind of cancellation of that event. But of course, we will keep you posted. And thank you very much for bringing that up. And as well, Scott had a question about public notifications. Uh, He he was concerned about a coffee shop close to his place that he said is closed. It's got a sign on the door um, that says, you know, they're working on reopening soon. He believes there was a case of COVID-19 at that location. And he said, do they at least have to post information about that. He said, those of us with senior parents were possibly exposed, but no dates, no nothing, no warnings. Well, Scott, that's a good question. Uh, Now, you can go to your communities, like if you live in Fraser Health or Vancouver Coastal Health or whatever region, you can go online and check their public exposures notification list. And if there has been a case of transmission, that is the case of the person there was working closely with the public and may have transmitted to someone, then yes, they will post that information online. Uh, But I looked and I didn't see the location of any, you know, the particular shop that you were talking about on there, but I may not have looked in the right region. So, you know, that's definitely, if you're concerned about, you know, a place that you went to that you think, are they closed because they have a COVID-19 case there? check out your health region's public exposures notification page and hopefully you can get more information from there. But generally they post it if they know that the person who had it came into contact with the public and then it might be a concern. 
that's when it generally gets posted there. Okay. Anyway, any questions that you have, just feel free to email me anytime, simi at cknw.com. And I know there's a lot of questions out there about kind of the health orders and the stuff that's been going on. Uh, you know, if we if we bend this curve now, if we do now what we did months ago, if everybody listens and doesn't have like, you know, late night unregulated gambling at their house like that person in Kamloops, if we can do this, then yeah, maybe by the time Christmas rolls around, we can have a few of these outdoor events and we can see a little bit of that kind of Christmas spirit outside. So fingers crossed on that. Meanwhile, you look at places like Hawaii, when they're so used to getting tourists from uh, Canada to come there, right? Hey, my family included, we love it. It's our favorite place to go. Won't be doing that this year for sure. But, you know, we're not alone in that. And in Hawaii, they're trying all sorts of different things to try to get some people to feel safer about traveling to that state. Uh, Global News reporter Michael Couture explains what it is that the state of Hawaii has actually come up with. Every year, about half a million Canadians visit the picturesque beaches of Hawaii. COVID-19 closed borders for non-essential travel between Canada and the United States, but residents of our country will soon be allowed back to the Aloha State. Beginning in mid-December, travelers flying from Canada to Hawaii may bypass the state's 14-day quarantine if they take the COVID-19 test from labs uh, identified by Air Canada and WestJet. The key is those rapid tests. Travelers will have to get a negative result within 72 hours of departure to avoid quarantine when they arrive. WestJet has partnered with Dynalife Labs, the same company that did all of the testing for the NHL bubble. Obviously, it's not as many flights as we would have liked, and directs or nine, pardon me, directs per week. Um, Pre-COVID, we would have had a lot more traffic, but we think this is a really good step in the, in the right direction. I certainly have come into about 50 emails so far this morning. Canadian travel consultant Claire Newell's inbox is already flooded with interested travelers. She believes rapid testing is the key to helping the airline industry take off again. It's going to be necessary moving forward, uh, especially with things like cruising. But we we are a little bit behind um, some of the other countries. Lufthansa Airlines has started a trial with free rapid testing for all passengers on flights between Munich and Hamburg, Germany. Canada's agreement with Hawaii creates a kind of travel bubble with the state. Mainland USA and Japan were part of the original test run in October. Despite allowing visitors, Hawaii remains the state with the lowest per capita incidence of COVID-19. And while the governor admits allowing more visitors could create an uptick in cases, he says they are creating travel bubbles within hotels and other destinations. So that uh, should someone after arrival become uh, ill or symptomatic, that we can provide them health care, be able to test them uh, if needed, uh, and then most importantly, uh, able to isolate and quarantine them. And travel consultants say your last layer of protection is to buy health insurance just in case you get sick while on vacation. Mike LeCouture, Global News. That last point there is a good one because just because you have a rapid test that says that you don't have it when you get there 
doesn't mean that you're not still very much at risk of getting it. And also, it doesn't mean that you can avoid quarantine when you come home either. So you may be able to get there and enjoy the two weeks, three weeks, whatever you have in Hawaii. And listen, who wouldn't like to do that right now? But upon coming home, it is still a 14-day quarantine. And the rapid test doesn't always work. I think it can, in some cases, give you a false sense of security. For instance, the cruise ship industry, there was a yachting company that decided to employ rapid testing as a way of kind of testing a new cruise out. It was the first cruise in the Caribbean that had happened since March. Well, it ended quickly last week because they had to return to port in Barbados. They had administered rapid tests on all the passengers as part of its routine testing protocol. Test came back positive in some cases. Somebody actually got it while on the cruise. They had to turn around and go back. So they said it was a major setback for the cruise industry because the cruise industry has been really big on this idea of rapid testing as a way to get people back onto cruise ships and back cruising again. So we're not there yet. Uh, We just know right now what works, and that is limiting our contacts with other people and other places. We were talking about the Atlantic bubble earlier. Well, news from Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland and Labrador this morning, those provinces are pausing travel exemptions. Atlantic provinces had created a bubble where you could travel to the other Atlantic provinces, and that was okay. They're pausing that this morning. Those two provinces are because they have seen an increase in cases And the premier of PEI is saying all non-essential travel to Prince Edward Island right now is being barred while they deal with also an increase in the number of cases that they are seeing there. For months now, people who work in and provide live performances have been trying to figure out a way of doing it safely for people so they can still enjoy that. You can still hear musicians, performing artists and all of that. But it has been a very tough slog. Now we have live shows that have been shut down completely under those new restrictions that we are all facing from over the last couple of weeks. And that's a huge blow to live theater and performances that had been working towards reopening safely. To talk more about that, we're joined by Aaron Craven now, the founder of Mitch and Murray Productions. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks, Amy. Uh, What kind of productions does Mitch and Murray Productions put on? Uh, we put on modern uh, plays from the global stage, um, you know, contemporary character-driven dramas and comedies. Okay, so what yeah. has it been like? Like, Obviously, in the beginning, you were shut down. Had you been trying to find a way to do that again? Yeah, I mean, every theatre company that's operating right now, and I should preface this by saying professional theatre companies, we are not only under WorkSafe BC COVID safety mandates, but our own unions. So we have to go through two layers of COVID safety plans to try to put a show up. And how uh, the professional theater companies in town, like the Arts Club and ourselves, have been doing that is by staging one or two person shows. So no restrictions between the performers and very technically minimal. So like our show, it's it's me and my wife or my wife and I, I should say, um, in a play called Lungs. There's no set design, very minimal technically. All the audience are seated six feet apart in masks. And uh, I've been uh, getting COVID tested. Um, So it's just the two of us on stage, a household, really set back from the audience. And the level of COVID safety detail that all the companies had to go through to try to put a live performance up for, you know, 20 to 30 people a night. It's so refined and and it's probably one of the safest indoor environments you could be in. So, so we're just at a loss as to why theater and live events who are following 
these rigorous COVID safety plans have been targeted for shutdown and restaurants and pubs and cinemas are still open. Uh, now tell me, Aaron, what had, what was the reaction like when you did start to do these performances, which sound amazing, by the way, the level of work yeah. that you put into this. Did people yeah. think, were they feeling like, yeah, I want to go and see this? Absolutely. I mean, we've looked at it all along. It's a mental health service. And I think that's really important to note that for some people, art is, is essential as a mental health service. And, if, and we were doing it really safely, as were the other companies. And there are people that are starved for that kind of community outlet. And uh, we actually even did a seniors matinee where we, where we sold tickets to a very limited number of seniors. And they came, about 20 of them, and, and absolutely loved the show and messaged us after to say thank you. This has been such a reprieve, such an incredible um, uh, thing to be able to do during this time. Right. Okay. So now yeah. you're kind of putting it all back on the back burner again, Aaron. What does this mean yes. for your company? Well, we had to stop our run prematurely, which means we lost uh, the final three performances. Um, obviously, for a small company with you know minimal funding, it's uh, it's devastating. And the arts club had just uh, begun to open a show that they've now had to shut down. And really, I think where we're coming from as artists, it's it's not really about. Um, you know, how much we're already sort of hobbled by COVID and how much more this is going. It's, it's really what we're talking about is the disparity. We just don't understand the order. We don't under, and we're not asking for other places to be shut down. We want um, cinemas and restaurants. Nobody wants a uh, small business to go under. We just don't understand why our environment was deemed unsafe while the others were not. You walk by a pub and you see four people sitting without masks on, uh, drinking and eating, but meanwhile, a theater performance where people are sitting in masks, socially distanced, and the performers are way away from the from the audience, we're shut down. We just don't get it. So have you had any conversations with WorkSafe BC about this? Oh, I wrote an open letter to the, to the press, which is probably what you ended up seeing, and that went around, and um, there's been a lot of media attention over the weekend. We have spo- I have spoken to my MLA um, personally, and she's uh, attempting to set up uh, a meeting with Minister Dix this week to talk about this, which is going to be too late to save our particular show, but I'm still in the in the fight to try to get um, other shows revived. Right. Is it possible then if, okay, let's say it's just for two weeks, is there anything that you can salvage if you are allowed to kind of reopen in a couple of weeks? We haven't really thought that far ahead. I mean, when you're a small company renting a space, it's not like uh, the arts club who can just leave their set and leave everything paused and, and resume in a few weeks. For us, we had to give up our, our rental contract and it would be completely remounting it from the ground up. So for us, uh, it's kind of a loss, but we're, we're, I'm pursuing this for the greater community benefit. Yeah, you talked about the mental health aspect of this. Uh, yeah. yeah, give me an idea of that. What kind of impact does this have, do you think, on people being able to go to the theater and see a performance? Well, I mean, I think for older people, people who live alone, people who uh, love the performing arts and for who it's a big part of their lifestyle, I think the ability after eight months to walk into a theater knowing that everyone's masked and, and uh, there's COVID screening and that it's all set up and that there's these COVID safety plans, I think it's I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, pump our own tires too much, but there was a lot of laughter and a lot of tears at our show. Uh, it's, it was an incredibly special event to be able to put up for small audiences. And um, for those who really need it, who, you know, have been getting a lot of their community through screens for eight months, yeah. I think the mental health aspect is, is 
really, really important. And we're starting to see that. I think there's widespread uh, acknowledgement now that the mental health cost of COVID, uh, if, if, if the arts or if, if someone is able to attain any kind of a community live in the, in the room or outdoors in any capacity, that it's, that it's getting close to a necessity. And I just don't understand why arts groups who had to jump through all the hoops to create COVID safety plans, you know, in theater, uh, as per our union mandates, we actually have to have COVID safety captains on site. So professional theater companies not only have to have a COVID safety plan through the union, a COVID safety plan uh, that's uh, approved by WorkSafeBC, but we actually have to have a captain on site. And my question is, do cinemas, mm-hmm. do restaurants and pubs? I mean, if someone can sit unmasked in a restaurant for an hour and have dinner with a household or a bubble of four, I just don't understand why theater has been targeted. And that's what we're asking of the government right now. Aaron, do you think that BC was also a little ahead of the curve here on this? Because you, you, you look about big productions and all of that, and there's just no way they've been able to resume. I think that um, the few companies that are operating have just been really, really creative. Like in, in our uh, theater, we uh, staged um, the audience seats around the stage. So there's no one behind you. There's no one in front of you. Everyone's got their backs to the wall, almost kind of like a, a cabaret style. And it felt very safe and very spacious. And, and, and the people that have been able to put up shows have been, ext- I mean, it's months and months of work to try to create uh, a template by which, you know, it's going to be safe through governmental regulation, at least we thought. But, uh, you right. know, at this, at this point, we're just wondering. We, we're the, one of the only sectors that was targeted for shutdown. And that just reeks of um, bigger sectors with lobbying power staying open and smaller groups like the arts being pushed aside as, as kind of a window dressing gesture. And that's my feeling on it at this point. Okay. Well, Aaron, listen, let us know how it goes. Okay. If there's any progress on this. Thank you so much, Simi. Okay. Thank you. That's Aaron Craven, founder of Mitch and Murray Productions, small production companies that have been, as Aaron puts out, very creative in getting people back into a place to watch a performance, and that is six feet apart, lots of distancing, uh, to only two performers. He said, you know, they've been very, very careful uh, to do all of that, and they, yet they got shut down, even though movie theaters are still open and restaurants are still open and bars are still open. Now, is that fair, do you think? Should they be given a chance to show that they can also do things safely uh, under this two-week shutdown lockdown order that we have right now? Making masks mandatory in indoor public space is a big shift for Dr. Bonnie Henry. They will be required in common areas at your workplace, but where they will not be required is in school classrooms. Aha, so that is despite the fact that the BC Teachers Federation has been lobbying for that for, well, weeks now. Uh, But now they are turning to a different way of approaching this, and they're asking for parents' help on that. Joining us now is Terry Mooring, president of the BCTF. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thanks for having me. Now, you've decided to bring kind of parents into this and approach them. What are you doing? Well, we ha- we have, and what we're asking uh, families to do is ha- have conversations with their children. Uh, we think that there's a lot of conversations happening right now about mask wearing, given the you know current provincial mandate that was established. And it's not going to make sense to a lot of people that you you know need to wear your masks in almost every community venue that you go to and every store that you go to. Um, and you have to wear a mask uh, in middle and secondary school, at least, when you enter the building. So every child of that age enters the school building wearing a mask 
wearing a mask on buses if they ride buses to school. Um, And then they actually, you know, take them off in the classroom because they're not mandatory there. And we know that a lot of students don't take them off in classrooms, that they wear them there. And we also know that there's lots of families that are already having this conversation, families that have members uh, of their close family that do have underlying conditions. We have students with underlying conditions. We have teachers with underlying conditions. And so this is just, you know, the responsible thing to do uh, in a pandemic. And so I expect that... um, this will be the topic of conversation. Okay, so you're asking parents to what? To have that conversation with their children and and essentially ask their kids to mask up more? Yeah, encourage their encourage their uh, children to wear masks in in classrooms. That's that's the where class um, masks aren't mandatory right now, and we know there's you know a lot of and and currently right now every single student in the province uh, was to be given two reusable masks, and again. Uh, we hope that's happened across the province. We have no accounting of that. Right. And um, and also all schools are to have disposable masks on hand. And certainly lots of school staff are united in encouraging mask wearing. Uh, there's uh, whole schools that students wear masks all the time in our province. Um, but then, you know, conversely, I, I know that there are uh, situations in which masks are not being encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, teachers are being discouraged from even uh, talking about mask wearing or encouraging mask wearing. Like, we know it's not mandated, and we're really clear on that. But we've all said all along that we think the responsible thing to do is is to um, right. encourage a, a culture of mask wearing. Now, Terry, why, why not do this months ago? You know, I always thought this was the way to go to bring in parents to get them to do this without the actual mask mandate why not rope in parents to get you to help out you know months ago well i mean <laughs> you know we've been talking about this for a long time and certainly i know families have been talking about it and it's pretty clear we've had parents all along you know saying that they've been encouraging their children to wear masks i think this latest thing though really does seem very odd to probably a lot of people that masks are mandated everywhere except classrooms. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's going to be uh, a lot of families, you know, that are saying, uh, you know, th- this is it. Um, you know, children need to wear masks in classrooms. And, and, and that's, you know, what we're looking for. And so I think the direct reach out to parents is, is what's right. new here. And, uh, you know, all, also just, you know, having that renewed conversation now right. that we have a mask mandate. I mean, quite honestly, Sammy, we thought by now we'd at least have um, an encouragement of students students to wear masks in classrooms, but we know in some districts, they're actually not doing that. That's not even their position that students should be encouraged to wear masks in classrooms. Um, Really? It's all all predicated on this idea, it seems, from people that are not teachers, um, that students sit in their desks, much like office workers, and, you know, don't move around and don't, you know, turn turn their heads or turn around to the person behind them. And we know that's not how classrooms operate. And that's not how good learning and teaching works either. And so it makes a lot of sense. Um, you You're know, saying for, misconceptions then. You're talking about younger kids here too, right? You are. And, and a lot of younger uh, students in, in younger schools 
um, are, you know, it's, it's play-based. But our position is not that, um, you know, very young students should wear masks necessarily, um, though we know that's happening in lots of kindergarten and grade one classrooms as well. Um, we, our position is that it should be uh, students who are 10 years old and older. And we're also seeing, you know, province after province um, issue mask mandates now. And so it seems like, you know, here it, we're, we're slightly out of step right. in terms of the mask mandates in schools. Do you think, though, that with the heightened awareness and concern outside of schools now, right, where the new provincial health orders, do you think that will make parents then perhaps, you know, do what the BCTF is asking here and say to their child, listen, time for you to wear your mask. I think so, because I think for most people it will be, you know, it will seem strange to them that you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go to the drugstore, you can't go to the bank, you, you know, you can't go to the movie theater, you, you can't, um, you know, engage in very much in our uh, communities right now without wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'll be a renewed conversation. And that's what we're hoping for right now is that renewed conversation uh, leads to, you know, more consistent mask wearing across the province. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on that this morning. Thank you very much, Simi. Appreciate your time. That's Terry Mooring, president of the BC Teachers Federation. They are now asking parents out there to encourage their children to wear those masks. They have been asking for a mask mandate from the provincial government and health authorities. That doesn't still doesn't sound like it's going to happen for classrooms for schools, even though it's happening outside of that, all indoor public places. Uh, schools were the exception uh, to that. Classrooms, I should say, were the exception to that. So now the BCTF is saying, listen, parents, please just encourage your child to mask up regardless of where they are uh, to help support the teachers on that as well. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com.